of the world. It is wonderful to be back with you for another episode of Untapped Potential with Dr. Simone right here on TDN Radio. I hope that you're enjoying a wonderful day and that your week is off to a great start. As for us here in Georgia, this week is spring break, so we're enjoying a much-needed break from the hustle and bustle of getting Sophia to school each and every day and all her weekly activities. So again, welcome to the program. This is the program for anyone who is interested in setting and achieving life goals. So if you describe yourself as someone who wants to move their life beyond the nine to five job, beyond the daily routine of life, this is the program for you. So welcome to the program. We have another packed show for you today. And today we are heading over to Antigua. If you've been with me for a while, you know we traverse the entire world looking for people of Dominican, Caribbean, and African heritage who come on over to share their inspirational stories to motivate us, to keep us inspired as we work on our own personal life goals. So today we are heading over to Antigua and we are going to be joined by Captain Arthur Senhouse and he will tell us all about his trials and tribulations as he climbed the ladder of success. And then stay tuned for after our interview as we talk about plugging into our energy source. So of course, if you have important life goals, I think one of the most difficult parts is just remaining consistent with pursuing those life goals. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about how do you remain consistent? How do you get the energy each and every day to be able to continue working on those all important goals? So I'm very excited. I'm very happy to be here with you each and every Tuesday at 5.30 Eastern time right here on TDN Radio as we tap into our potential and we work on our life goals. So again, welcome to the program. And of course, we would like to thank our sponsor, Culture Kids out there on 17 Fields Lane in Dominica. So your number one source for all things kids from babies to the age of 16. Please remember to check out Culture Kids in Dominica on 17 Fields Lane. So let's get the show on the road. Let's enjoy this number from Roman Virgo, a song entitled Nastress, as we remember to be grateful to step into 
each and every week with a sense of gratitude for what we have and not a sense of longing for the things that we don't have. So again, let's enjoy this number from Roman Virgo, a song entitled Nastress, as we get ready to invite Captain Senhouse to the program. Welcome to Captain Arthur Senhouse. And of course, if his last name sounds familiar, it is probably because you recognize it as my maiden last name. Captain Senhouse is actually my cousin. So we are first cousins and I'm very proud to be um, his cousin. So he is the Director of Flight Operations at LIAT, the Caribbean airline based in Antigua. And while I'm saying thank you for being here, uh, Captain Senhouse, I also wanna thank your sister, Irma Marie, who yeah. was very instrumental about maybe 30 years ago when mm -hmm. she decided it was very important for the family in Antigua 
to know the family in Dominica. So if not for Irma, we probably would not be having this conversation. That's so true. thank you, Irma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is such a glue. Irma is such a glue. Oh, yeah. She's always bringing people together. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, yes. welcome to the program, um, uh, Captain uh, Captain Senhouse. How are you? I'm doing well. Yes, doing yes. Well. So, I gave a little introduction of who you are, but just tell us a little bit more of, about who you are. Well, like like you introduced me in the first instance. Um, my 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 father, who happens to be your uncle, um, was born and grew up in Dominica. However, at a very early age, he moved to Antigua, where he met my mom, who is actually from Guadeloupe. Um, I, I consider myself to be a, a very um, sort of total Caribbean person, and I say so because um, while my mom and my my dad um, originated from Guadeloupe and Dominica, respectively. My wife happens to be Grenadian. Wow. Um, so, <laughs> so like you say, um, thanks to Irma, my sister, she has always had this affinity to make sure that we, we know extended families. I, I refer to her as my ancestry.com because anything I want to know, I can go to her. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, so I, I was born in Antigua grew up in the, in, in the little village called Michael's Village, which happens to be um, adjacent. And we considered ourselves part of the Ovals community, where those of you who are cricket enthusiasts will know that um, Viv Richards came from just, just a few houses down the road from where we live. So this is somebody who we know very well. Um, his mom, his dad, his brothers and stuff like that. So, um, while while I grew up in um, in Michael's village, I attended what was um, originally the um, primary uh, Catholic school, part of um, Christ the King. And then after leaving Christ the King, I went to St. Joseph's Academy and completed my secondary education there. However, all that time, I, I don't remember when the aviation bug actually bit me. But um, from ever since, I have always um, wanted to, to, to be a pilot, to get into aviation. My other, my other passion really was, was law, and I still do have a little affinity for it, but um, I, I got myself really deeply involved in aviation. As a matter of fact, it was through Irma, again, again. <laughs> <laughs> And I met I met a, a young a young man um, who had just joined Liat as a pilot by the name of Russell Lee Foon. Very, very nice guy from I remember from, Russell. From from Trinidad. You remember Russell? I remember right? Russell. And um, he had actually introduced me to my first flight instructor, Norman Martin, who actually had a small flying club here and was able to instruct and stuff like that. And um, through Russell, I was able to book a, a flight with Martin and um, just to see if I would like it or not. And, um, and from the very first time I even walked out to that little airplane, it was a little four-seater airplane, um, I thought, this, this is my dream, you mm -hmm. know? And this is all I wanted to do. Not to mention where our house was back in Michael's village all the aircraft, because where we lived was just um, 
sort of west of the airport. So on final approach, all the aircraft used to fly right over my house. Mm -hmm. I think you probably stuck, stuck for a little while. But if you're just joining us, uh, we're speaking to Captain Arthur Senhouse of Antigua. Yeah, and um, I was able to to to, to work and um, and join join the program that Martin Norman had, mm -hmm. and so I needed forty hours of flight time to qualify to write my first exam, mm. right? And I started that in 1984, right? And it took me because I had to do it as I worked mm -hmm. because we didn't, we, we, we weren't well off or anything. Mm -hmm. So I did that as I worked and dedicated myself to it. I never bought a car or anything. As a matter of fact, I rode my bicycle. Wow. I bought a bicycle because to get from where I was to the airport, I, I couldn't afford to pay a taxi or, mm -hmm. or get some form of transportation. So I bought a bicycle and um, rode from home to the airport every time I needed to go for a class. And I was able to achieve my 40 hours and wrote the exam. I passed the first one. Um, the first time I sat it, I passed. So I got my, what they refer to as a private pilot's license. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so what that allowed me to do was to fly on my own. And um, of course I would go to, to Guadeloupe in particular because I have a lot of family there. So I take my sisters, my mom, and then we'll go across the Guadeloupe. So on a private plane? In, in the plane, I felt good because <laughs> there it is a little, and I have to say this, you know, and I'm not saying this with any prejudice or anything, but we refer, I refer to myself as this little black boy from Ovals who came from a family fairly unknown to anybody, was able to go to the airport, hop in a little airplane, take his family across all by himself. They were very trusted. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then we stay for the weekend and then we come back. We had our own mode of transport. Mm. So after I did that, I started looking to flying schools because by that time I was working at um, Cable and Wireless, which was a dream job of mine. Mm -hmm. and, um, so I, I was able, because we work shift, I was able to work mostly night shifts. So then I could get a chance to, to fly about during the day. And um, while doing that, I remember at that time we had no internet, no cell phones, mm -hmm. no, no, no computers to, to go on. So I had to um, rely on things like um, magazines and ask questions about flight schools and things like that because I needed to complete the, the licenses and to be, to be able to get a job as a, as a commercial pilot, you need four licenses. Mm -hmm. You need your private pilot's license, you need your commercial license and um, your instrument rating. And the last one you would get, would, it would enable you to be a captain on any size of aircraft, which they refer to as your, your advanced pilot license, All right? So I did two licenses in Antigua, my private and my commercial. And I was able through my mom to apply for for a student loan at the Antigua Commercial Bank. And I believe it or not, I got the first student loan that that bank gave, right? So I was able to go to Moncton in Canada, in New Brunswick, and there I completed my instrument rating and commercial license. 
Mm-hmm. And then when I came back to Antigua, I applied to Liat and they hired me. Wow. Know, that, is a, that is a beautiful yeah. story. Oh, yeah. And I've, yeah. I've been there ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's just over 32 years. Yes, yes. I started as a co-pilot. I rose, I, I was a co-pilot on the 19 seat at Queen Arthur, and then I became a co-pilot on the Dash 8, which was you now the 37 and 50 seater aircraft. And during that time, I was also picked um, by the older captains to become a, a flight instructor. Mm-hmm. But, but, but even before we speak about Liat, because we certainly want to hear about your experiences about <laughs> Liat, but you yeah. know, on this program, we, we talk a lot about uh, challenges and successes, and yeah. you've already shared some of the sacrifices you had to yeah. make, such as buying a bicycle to yeah. get to classes, but just kind of tell us about the challenges you faced when you left home for the first time and went to Canada. Well, that, uh, that is quite a story. I had never been um, to, to, to North America or anything, right? And so, well, you know, I was all excited. Um, I, actually, I actually got to Canada on my birthday, which was the 24th of March. I'll, ne- I'll never forget it, right? And that was the first time. And when I went there, you know, the 24th of March is in the dead of winter. Yes, it is. You're talking about... You're talking about up at the Northeast in Canada, right? All I knew about that place at the time was that we, that's where we got sardines from. New Brunswick <laughs> sardines. That's yes. all I knew, yes. right? Not to mention, I never saw sardines up there at all, right? Um, but when I got there, I was so ill-prepared. Oh, were you? That I had no idea as to what snow was or how cold it could get. And how and old were you? How old were you? I was, I was 24 years old, right? I was 24 at the time. Um, a young man mm-hmm. landed in this place. Um, so I, I got there. It was a Sunday. I, I think it was a Sunday. And so I had to find my way to a bank. Now, remember, there, there were hardly any credit cards and things mm-hmm. like that. So I had this... I had this um, this um what it was it was the the check from the bank <laughs> here in antigua that i had to now go to a bank and deposit and open an account deposit walk with all my documents to tell them i'm a student and things like that and would you believe it or not i got lost <gasps> right and so all i had was what we refer to in the caribbean as a windbreaker mm-hmm. just a little light mm-hmm plastic type jacket yes. you know and um i remember i walked i walked i asked for directions and stuff like that i probably just took the wrong turn somewhere <laughs> and i ended up in the opposite direction to where i was supposed to go they said i needed to go to this big building it would have been a big black building in the middle of town called the cn tower wow. and i just missed it and i ended up somewhere on a waterfront next to a single pump gas station I remember that. And I stood up there, 24 years old, and I cried. Wow. I can't imagine. I you're thought, overwhelmed. And you're I cold. Thought, you're cold. I thought I, yeah, I thought I was going to die. And I said, could you imagine nobody knows me and I'm going to die in this cold place? And you <laughs> and can't so, get on your cell phone and, and call your mom on WhatsApp. You can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. So 
I took the courage and I, I, I knocked on the door by the little gas station and there was a, a, a elderly gentleman there. And I asked him if I could just come in for a minute. And he said, yeah, come in, you know. And he said, what, what, what's your issue? And I said, well, I'm looking for the CN Tor because I need to get to the Royal Bank of Canada because I'm a student at the Moncton Flight Center. He knew. So he said, no problem, man. I can, I can show you where that is. So he took me back outside after a little while I got to warm up and he pointed me in the right direction. Well, girl, when I got to that place, right? And I came out because now I had, I had a bit of cash and in, in that place, it was like a big mall as well. So I just went and when I came out of that building, nobody could recognize me because I had earmuffs, I had gloves, a big, big coat. You, you just could not see me. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my great, great challenges when I got up here. Had no idea, no idea whatsoever. And going back, going back to my bicycle story, mm -hmm. would you believe that you know what we call susu, right? We call yes. it we call yes, boxing is where people put monies together, everybody gets some at the end of the week. And the first bicycle I bought to do that, I had parked it outside a neighbor's house and somebody stole it. Wow. And it took me, it took me the better part of a month <laughs> to save up money again nice. because I bought it in parts and put it together. Mm -hmm. You know, so that 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 it it was not just a breeze for me to get to where I, to where I got eventually. Right. But, um, but I could always sit back and and, and laugh at it and, mm -hmm. and with it and share it. You know? Yeah, so I want to talk about your experience um in Canada, but for anyone who's just joining us. We're speaking to Captain Arthur Senhouse, out of Antigua. Yes, he is my cousin of the last name Senhouse, and he's the Director of Flight Operations at LIAT. And I'm sure we have a lot of questions about the status of LIAT, but before we even touch on that, he's just sharing the sacrifices and his experiences and the challenges he faced when he went to Canada to uh, obtain his degree and become a pilot. So I think one of the things I experienced coming from Dominica and moving to the US was how different the school system oh, was. Yeah. Was that a challenge for you? Oh, I yeah. didn't even understand what a credit was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And, and the way they would, they would um, conduct the classes and stuff. And in flight school in particular, in flight school in particular, it's almost, while they have universal classes, it's almost an individual sort of curriculum mm -hmm. because you go at your pace. I remember when I got there, I met several other people from, from different places in the world. I always remember there was one guy who stood out to me um, up to today, and he was a prince from, um, from Nepal, mm -hmm. and his name was Prince Pikash. He is the one who taught me to play table tennis. Mm -hmm. I always remember that. He was from Nepal, very, very good friend of mine. And then I also, I had a roommate. I don't know if you know the former president of Italy, Berlusconi, mm -hmm. Silvio Berlusconi. Right. His son was actually my roommate at the time when I was Impressive. in Impressive. Yep, yep, yep. So I got to meet a broad cross section of people. Yeah. Um, so many as I had were not only Canadian, but some were from Pakistan and Africa and stuff mm. like that. Mm -hmm. So it really gave me a broad perspective on different types of cultures. And yeah, and like would that. you say it expanded your horizon in terms oh, of, yeah, you know, coming yeah. from a tiny island and meeting oh, so yeah. many people oh, yeah. from around I, the world? I, I yeah, I didn't feel as lonely because 
a lot of these other kids, they came from fairly humble beginnings as well, mm -hmm. right? So we had a lot in common, a lot to share, and we're in this big city, mm -hmm. you know, although Canadians consider Moncton to be a small place, but we considered it a big city because we, we didn't have those things where we came from. Mm -hmm. So it was, it, was, it was a pretty, pretty good experience for me. Good. And the weather, it, it taught me how to respect nature. Nature. Because it, it could go from, from being a nice, nice day to, to 20, 25 degrees below zero in a half. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You know, and especially as it was right on the waterfront up in the Northeast, the mm -hmm. weather could change on a dime. Yeah. And that's one of the things I, I when, when young people come and ask me about um, um, ideas and where to go to flight school and things like that, I always recommend it mm -hmm. because... You, you, you come out of, of that situation feeling very, very accomplished, well-trained. It's a very, very good system they have in Canada. Yeah, you know? good. So how many, how many years were you in Canada? Well, because I had, I had started it here. Flight school itself is, is normally a very short program, mm -hmm. right? So because I had gone there with um, some level of experience and I had two out of the, out of the four licenses already, I spent from March until August of that same year because I didn't, I didn't take any breaks. I didn't go back home. I just stayed there day in, day out and went through the program. Because a lot of the people I met there, I left them there. Wow. Because after a while, you can, once, you, once you qualify to write the exams and do the flight checks, mm -hmm. they will let you do it, right? Um, an instructor would evaluate you, and once he is satisfied that you can do it, they will get an inspector from the Department of Transport on the mm -hmm. aviation side to come and do the flight check with you. You have to, you had to go down to that same CN tower at the Department of Transport. <laughs> Did you get lost I, again? <laughs> oh, I, I, I never got lost. Never got lost after that. And then your lesson. I was good at it. So I just kept going with mm -hmm. it un, until I was finished, mm -hmm. and. The day after I did my last flight check, I, I was so homesick, right? Mm -hmm. I just packed everything in my suitcase, pulled it across because where I lived, it was right across. The flight school was actually on the airport. Mm. So I just, I just went across the Air Canada had seats and I was <laughs> heading home. Wow. Heading home. <laughs> but the thing about flight school is that all you, you, what you get really is a license so that you can get a job. Mm -hmm. once you get once you become a commercial pilot that's when the learning really starts interesting and it's it's a, a lot of people don't understand but what happens we're the only profession in the world that i know of that every six months every six months a pilot's job a commercial pilot's job is on the line mm -hmm. right? because every six months you have to go back into the classroom you have to go into the simulator you have to do it all over again. Right. Because people's right? lives are in stake. Yeah. Every six months. You got it. I know, I know guys get very nervous mm -hmm. because you know, if you fail, um, and some companies have a three strikes and you're out kind of rule, you fail three times in your career. You could mm -hmm. be there for a long time. Once you fail three times, they tell you it's time to go. So you even know? when you become a captain, oh yes, everybody has to go through that. Mm -hmm. Every six months, and if if you if you suffer uh, an an illness that's debilitating, you could lose your license. I know mm -hmm. there, there there are a couple of guys 
around my time in the act and up to up to not too long ago who had to be medically boarded because their health wasn't allowing them to hold their license because we have to go to the doctor every six months as well you and do medical yeah right, yeah right. so not only your skill set but your health can take you out mm-hmm. you know if you if you if your eyesight depreciates below a certain level that's it you're finished mm-hmm. you know just the other day a good a very good friend of mine who works in the office with me as well he suffered a mild heart attack and his license got suspended for six months Wow. he had to go and do some surgery in, in the states and things like that so when he got when he got back you know his medical now his your, your medical certificate in a pilot's license is what validates your license mm-hmm. you have to do that first and then you go and do your flight training and your flight checks mm-hmm. so some people get very nervous over it um some people just don't like it mm-hmm. you know so we we try to make it as as amicable as we can and make sure because i think the nerves come because um you're going to do things that you don't normally do on a normal flight mm-hmm. right you're going to go through all the emergency procedures right. and, and you know you might get an engine fire an engine failure um you know the the pressurization in the cabin may go because mm-hmm. you know you find the the flight attendant always tell you just in case of of rapid decompression the oxygen mask will fall and you take it well we are on the other side of that mm-hmm. right so we have to train in order to let the, well you know because yep. you you like it another one time so you know exactly what i'm speaking about but people do get nervous and get a little you know a little um agitated about it but mm-hmm. we do the briefs and the debriefings and make sure that people are comfortable yeah and all, it's, it's been it's been pretty good to me yes i, I love it i love it mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. and, and of course we're going to talk about your your journey of climbing the ladder at um Liat <laughs> because you've made it all that's the way direct to a flight <laughs> operation yes yeah so we're speaking to yes, captain house the director of flight operations at Liat and he's just walking us through his successes and challenges that he's faced and we're so happy that he's joining us today because he's a very busy man i promise you it's been months <laughs> we've been trying to get this interview in and because he has such a hectic schedule as i'm sure you can imagine we've only now had the opportunity to sit down for this interview so we're so happy that he is joining us today so captain just kind of walk us through um the getting beginning at liat and how you were able to climb the corporate ladder within liat <laughs> i never planned to mm. i never planned to my my dream was to sit in a cockpit until the day i get to 65 and retire mm-hmm. that that has always been my dream um however i don't know for some strange reason i seem to end up taking up challenges that that i didn't plan to and i think that journey started because um i'm a very curious individual i like to learn things and and because of that i ask a lot of questions i remember as as a young pilot there was one of my mentors um captain richard king who i always considered to be um a a natural naturally brilliant person when it came to understanding the physics and the chemistry of flight 
and how the aircraft worked and things like that. And I remember when we got when we got our first new Dash A, the 50-seater, I had noticed something about it. And one of the things I had noticed was that we didn't have what we what we used to call on the Dash 100, the smaller one, a climb chart. And that was just a chart with a set of numbers that as, as you pass certain altitudes, you had to make sure that the power setting was at a particular number. So I had asked him one day, you know, how come we don't have that? So instead of answering me, he said, come with me. And he took me into the library and he gave me these two huge manuals, right? And he said, I'm going to show you something and I'm going to give you these two books and you go home and create one of those charts, mm. right? And so, okay, I said, but I don't think I could do that. He said, no, you can do it. I will show you how to start it and I know you can do it. So he gave it to me and I said, oh, it took me, it took me about two weeks and I figured it out and I, and I, and I, I, I documented it and I took the numbers back to him and he said, you see, I told, I told you you could do it. But then after I did all of that, he said, you know, now that you have done it, what I will tell you is that we don't necessarily need it. Oh, my Lord. Because the aircraft has an automatic system in it that it will set the power uh, based on the altitude you're climbing through. And then he explained it to me and we got into it and I realized. But we kept it. We kept it and they actually went ahead and modified it and put it on each of the aircraft. Mm -hmm. So... Because of that, and, and because of my interaction with him, and, and my, my um, affinity to, to, to learn things, if there was something going on and they asked for a volunteer to, to sit on a committee or to look into something where pilots may be having an issue or something like that, I would always raise my hand and do it. Fast forward a bit, yeah, up, to, up to about 2011, um, I, I became a member of the of the executive committee for the um, pilots for the pilots union, and in 2011, um, I was nominated. You know, they asked me, "Would you become the, the chairman or the president of, of the group?" And I said, "Okay, I'll do that." Mm -hmm. They had an election. I won, and I I did that for a year. But what that did for me, that gave me a greater insight into the the, the industrial side of things because now I would have to interact a lot more with management. And I remember one day we had a new CEO and that was back in 2012. And I got a call from HR and she said, you know, the CEO would like to, to see you at around 12.30. So I'm thinking, what the hell what? could I have done? Because I know I, 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 I'm not normally in trouble or anything. So anyway, when, when I went up to headquarters, um, both himself and the director of, of HR, they said, well, we're going to lunch. So what we will do, you come with us and we'll have lunch and we'll discuss with you what we, what we asked you to come for. So anyway, during lunch and things like that, the, the CEO then told me, he said, you know, we, um, we'll be monitoring you for a while and a vacancy is going to come up because the, the chief pilot at the time was coming up for retirement and they say you know we think that you would be a good fit for it i said but i have i really have no interest in it i just want to fly the airplane I just want to fly by myself and he said well well you know think about it 
and we're going to put out the, the, the vacancy notice and at least apply, go through the interview. Now, by, by 2012, I would have been in Liat for, for just about, um, I would say I joined in 87. So I would have been there just about 25 years already. And after 1987, I had not done an interview. I had not applied for any work or anything. Mm -hmm. I said, well, I'm going to have to dig deep now because if, I, if I'm going to be called for an interview, I have to do some preparation. So, but anyway, I did tell them that if, if I were to be considered, I would like to enroll myself in a, a business management course mm -hmm. or anything. Anyhow, we fast forward a little bit and um, I did get a chance to go to the interview. But because I, I was always looking to learn things, I became very proficient at things like Word and Excel and PowerPoint and computer things and stuff like that. So I was able to go to the interview. Then I get a call and said, well, you're on the short list. Wow. But there are people better than me who I consider to be better than me. Anyway, they, they, they picked me and I told them, well, look, I, I, I would do this for three months, right? Because really I have no interest. <laughs> I would do it for three months and we'll see how it goes. So they were happy and they, they gave me the opportunity to do it. However, funny it is, right? Now that I was appointed um, and put on probation in February of 2014, right? Um, by that time, the, the chief pilot had re retired and handed over to me. However, my DFO, which is the director of flight ops, there was an incident and um, he was terminated, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Now, the way the hierarchical structure in the org chart works is that the, the chief pilot will always deputize for the DFO. So here I am in February, and towards the end of March, he gets terminated. <laughs> so I am now a brand new person in the seat holding two of the top positions wow. in an airport, right? <laughs> and so I, I said, no, I, I am not going to do this. This is just too much. But I have to say, um, I, by that time, by that time, I had already gone... Um, probably a few months into the course I had I had registered in the in the um in the college here to do a, a business administrators course right so by that time I started to get some knowledge as to how things work in the business administration standpoint and so I would go to work from eight o'clock in the morning um till five in the afternoon and leave straight from my office and go to class from five till nine in the wow. night and I, I did that and I had to because of the pressures of um, holding two positions at the same time I'm going through that learning curve. I took a few, I took almost a year off um, that business administration course. And then once I gathered myself again and I started to, to get accustomed um, to it, I, I went back into the course. And I finished it, actually, I finished it in 20, 2019, October mm -hmm. of 2019. And that, that really, really blew my mind. It really 
put me in a much better place. So now, having not wanting to do it, I didn't really want to do it. I'm so happy I did it. And I got a, a lot of encouragement from the new CEO who had come on. Um, and he, he told me, he told me, welcome to baptism by fire. Oh, um, so it, it, it took a chunk out of me. It really did, but I don't regret having done it. It was a lot of hard work because I'm now sitting at a top position in a, in a, in a big company, a lot of responsibility. Um, people's lives are in my hands yes. when those things go in the ear. Um, I have a lot of, my, my, my department is the biggest department in the company. Mm-hmm. It takes over two thirds of the employees, right? Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of sub departments that I have to do, but at the end of the day, I managed, I saw it through and, um, I have to say with a lot of prayer and, and relying on my spiritual side of things that, that gave me the, the opportunity and the skill sets to really embrace it. Mm-hmm. And, take it to another level. I, w- I was able to make some, what I consider to be some good revolutionary changes in the department, mm-hmm. get people to appreciate more than what they want to do. Because I, I thought that um, a lot of times when when people get up on the ladder, they, they tend to forget. So I, I tend to, I, I never, nobody could ever find me in my office. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I was one who always, I needed to, be with people and get from the other departments. How, how do we create a link? Why is this not working? What is it that we can do to help you? Because the whole airline is a, is a, is like a chain link fence, mm-hmm. you know, there are many different parts, but they're all connected. Mm-hmm. And so from, from that standpoint, you know, I would, I would walk the whole walk from up by the hangar, which you, which you're familiar with yes. all the way down to the airport. Mm-hmm. So I would hardly I tell anybody, if you want me, call me on my cell phone. Right. I'll have it because I can't sit in my office. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really why I like devices and things. So my secretary would send me a document and I go on my iPad and I would sign it, right. and send it back to her. So mm-hmm. it gives me a chance to be mobile, but mm-hmm. then it also gave me a chance to learn a lot about the other departments and how we could connect it and make the, the airline run better. Mm-hmm. And I've been part of a team which, which I played a very key role in through my department to improve our on-time performance. That was right. one of the challenges our first female CEO gave us, gave me in particular. She wanted us to be able to be on time at yes. least 70% of the time. Mm-hmm. And in a matter of months, we achieved that and we were able to take it over 80%. So she came back now and she gave me a new KPI. She says, from next month, I want us to keep that KPI at 80%. I said, mm-hmm. oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> The moving we, targets. <laughs> we did it. We did it. And, and we were able to, to be registered on this website called flightstats.com, mm-hmm. which is an independent company. And it just looks at the statistics of airlines and puts them into groups. So we were in Latin America and the Caribbean. And we were able in 2018 to get right up out of 13 airlines to number two. Wow. On many, many occasions. And that for me was a, was a proud achievement, a proud moment, because I was able to put that in my board report, the report mm-hmm. to the board and say, this is what we have become. So yeah. it, it, you know, I was able to be part of something that really put Liat on a pinnacle, mm-hmm. you know, not mm-hmm. to mention our, 
how impeccable safety record, you know. Yes, yes, very important. And, and you know, um, that's one of the challenges people speak about a lot, the challenge yeah. of being on time. So I kind of yeah. want to talk about some of the challenges Liat has faced over the years. But of course, I just want to remind everyone, we are speaking to Captain Arthur Senhouse out of Antigua. He's the Director of Flight Operations, and he's told us all about his wonderful journey of becoming a pilot, his, his ability to climb the ladder of just being curious and being willing to learn. So I think we're taking away many lessons from you, um, Captain. So thank you so much for sharing those with us. And as you mentioned, as a former flight attendant with Liat, I have to say my experience was wonderful. I, only, I was only there for about a year. But I had the pleasure of working with you, working with Irma Marie, working with your wife, Celia. It's like yeah. we took over the entire company <laughs> yeah. we, we at one point. And my brother-in-law, Kelvin. And your brother, yes, I remember Kelvin as well. So it was, it was a family business on many levels. <laughs> on many levels. Oh, yes. <laughs> So just kind of, um, as we get ready to wind on in a little while, just kind of walk yeah. us through some of the challenges Liat has faced in the past and what is the status of Liat currently? Yeah. Well, to begin with, um, while Liat has been around for just over 60 years, um, the, common, the common thing that has really challenged it over those years is something we refer to in economics as on the capitalization. And while a lot of times people would say, well, the governments need to come out of it, which a few of them had um, last year. I always used to look back at it and say, well, the same thing that we seem to, to, to blame for having it where it is, is the same thing that bails us out all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's government. Mm -hmm. um, I know we went through a fleet change. Since I've been there, we have gone through um, two major fleet changes. Because when I joined, they had the 48-seater um, Avros, which you would have been familiar with as well. Mm -hmm. And then we changed to all dashes. We got rid of the small airplanes and we got all dashes. We have land dashes out of Canada. In 2012, we started the major fleet change because the dashes were now becoming old. And we changed to the, to the newer, greener, as they call it, um, more efficient ATR aircraft, which, which I had grown to love because it's um, the technology on it is just amazing. Um, having said that now, um, the challenges we faced had to do with a lot of um, new regulations coming in, um, especially when it, when, it came to, uh, when it came to competition and stuff like that. And the governments, especially, especially Barbados, um, figured we, we need to restructure it, we need to privatize it, we need to do it over, so to speak. However, while, while that was on the cards in, in 2019, because I had attended a meeting where, where the prime ministers were present, Rav Gonzalez, Gaston Brown, and, and Mia Motley were present, and, and it's, in, it's in their presence, it was announced that that Barbados wanted to sell its shares for a dollar. And Prime Minister Gaston Brown jumped up and said, well, I will have it. Liat, Liat was created in Antigua and Antiguans are very proud of it. They believe it's theirs. And I think they have a right to believe that because Antigua has come to the rescue of Liat from, from, the, from its inception. 
So when the, the whole thing with the pandemic came about, I think it just gave um, some of the other governments the opportunity to say, well, we don't know how long this is going to last, so we might as well fold it up. While all of that was going on, and Liat was supposed to have been folded up in on the 31st of July, 2019, uh, 2020, um, the government here decided that they won't allow that to happen. So they created the new part of the constitution that housed the bankruptcy rules. And um, from that, they placed, um, more or less unilaterally, they placed Liat into bankruptcy. So now we have it on the administration. So we laid off um, just over 500, and I think it's about 580 of our 677 staff. And we went right down to just from 10 airplanes, we're now down to three airplanes. However, the government of Antigua and Barbuda has decided that they're going to try to get some investors to look at LIAT. And for that purpose, we had been encouraged to put the airplanes back in the air. So we are now operating on a limited schedule. We started from about December. And there are a few investors who seem to be interested. And um, the court has given the company some latitude. So while we're in bankruptcy, as you know, nobody can, no creditor can come and, and shut you down or put you in court and things like that. So we have a bit of protection. And um, I'm hoping that somewhere by the end of April, between April and June, we'll have a clear idea as to where we will end up. Um, while we have been put back into service, though on a very limited schedule, um, the whole uptick in the COVID, um, in the COVID casualties and infection rate has really pushed us back just a little because now in Antigua, we, we, our curfew hours are from 6 to 5, 6 p.m. to 5 a.m. Um, Barbados is almost on a total lockdown. The embassy in Barbados has decided to um, stop the visa appointments. So what they're doing now is everything is electronic. So that has taken some passengers away as well. But we, our intention with the government of Antigua and Barbuda is to stay the course because now that the vaccines have, have started to come through the Caribbean and we have to really give a lot of praise and thanks. We can't do it enough to Prime Minister Roosevelt Skerritt for providing Antigua, Barbados and some of the other islands. Um, we got 5,000 doses which started to have been administered as of, as of yesterday to the healthcare workers. So we are forever indebted to, to the people of Dominica um, for their Prime Minister having done that for us and put us on a better path. We are hopeful that we'll be able to climb out of bankruptcy and then put Liat back on the map as a much better, leaner brand of aviation. And so I'm, I'm fairly hopeful, um, you know, the staff at Liat who remain, we work tirelessly. Um, sometimes months we don't get paid because we know there is no money, but people still show up because they have this genuine love for this Caribbean institution called Liat. And so we're doing it. We have pledged that we're going to do it so that we can get, if not all, but the majority of our brothers and sisters back into employment, back into aviation. So it's a sacrifice that we all had to, had to take. It hasn't been easy. Um, 
you know, because it's, you know, you're working, you have to drive, you have to put gas, you have to find food and things like that, you know. Um, so we work with the government and whenever they're able, they will help us with the little revenue that we make to pay staff and to pay for some of the things. So for me, it's been, it's been, um, while it's been tough, it's been quite a learning experience because now we have to dive a lot deeper into, into the um, granules of the industry and to work with um, um, establishments and groups like IATA, the International Airline Transport Association, um, and the regulators and FAA and DOT, you know, have a good rapport with the people at FAA, you know, so if any, there's any challenge and anything, we can always reach out to them. So it's been, it's been, like I say, I have not had a day where we have not learned something new. You know, even last night I, I stayed up, I fell asleep and then I, I got up to look at some, um, some ways that we can, we can develop, you know, and manage the expense versus the cost versus the ticket prices, see why, what it is that we can do in this time of heavy restrictions to get people to travel because people want to travel, you know? So I'm very, very optimistic that with the introduction of the vaccine, that will remove the need for people to be quarantined because that's the biggest obstacle for people traveling. Nobody's going to want to travel except they have to and go somewhere to stay 14 days locked in a room, you know? So, so for me, that, that has really, that has really given me a lot of encouragement this week to see that the vaccines are rolled out and we're not able to do that. Yes. So where Liat is right now is that we're just working on a very limited budget, very limited schedule. And um, we're back to about uh, just over 140 people across the network, mm -hmm. across the Caribbean. So for us, it's just about staying the course. I think we have... From my, from my knowledge and understanding of where we are, I think in about the next two months, we will start to see an increase in travel as people get vaccinated and they start to remove some of the restrictions on, um, on quarantine. You know? Well, thank you. So, well, thank you so much. Uh, I, I yeah, so thank you so much, Captain Sandhouse, for being with us and for sharing all about your personal experiences as well as the status of Liat. Do you have any final words for us as we wrap up? Well, like I always say, um, one of the things, because I, I, I remember doing an interview, and it's funny, I did an, inter an interview with a young lady who came to for an interview as a pilot at Liat. And when she met me, she said, you know, I, 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 I feel like I know you because she said she read in the newspaper while she was back in Trinidad. Somebody had asked me a question about Liat and I, say, I, I said on that occasion, which was several years before I met her, that um, Liat, while it is a Caribbean institution, it is important for the governments to keep it going because that's the dream, hope, and aspiration of a lot of little Caribbean boys and girls mm -hmm. where they can stay home and become what they want to be. Mm -hmm. So for me, Liat is not just me, not just about anybody else, but it's really about the generation to come mm -hmm. so that people can feel just like 
a, a child can grow up and go to be a doctor and come back and work in a hospital home. We should, we should strive as Caribbean people to make sure that we create those entities where people can come back home with their expertise and give something back to the community and enjoy it because it, mm -hmm. it has been quite a joy for me. Yes, absolutely. It has opened me to a lot of things. So it's more for, for, for the, the hopes and dreams of the little boys and girls, you know? So yes. when they sit down on their step, like I did, and mm -hmm. they see Ali at Passover, they can say, I can do that. Yes, well, yes. With it, you know? So mm -hmm. that, that's, 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 what, that's what keeps me going. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Captain Senhouse. Thank you for joining us on Untapped Potential with Dr. Simone. It's been a pleasure having you. It's been a pleasure reconnecting with you. We haven't seen each other in about 25 years. Oh, yes. So oh, yes. it's okay. been a while. Oh, but yeah. it's been a pleasure reconnecting with you. And again, thank you, Irma Marie, um, my other cousin, oh, yeah. for setting this yeah. up for us and for yeah. making sure that we stay connected as a family. So it's Definitely. been a pleasure having you. And thank you. I'm happy I got to do this. I'm yes. really happy I got to do it. Yes, thank Thanks you so much. I'm great to see you. Yes, same here. Okay. Say hi to the family in Antigua for I'll me. definitely do that. Right, you are care. listening okay. to take Untapped care. Potential with Dr. Simone. If you live in Canada, the U.S., and the U.K., and are looking for Dominica products, including cocoa sticks, bay rum, coffee, soaps, crafts, and other popular Dominica items, then look no further. You can now shop on buydominicaonline.com, a secure, easy-to-navigate website selling a wide variety of Dominica-made and Dominica-inspired products. When you shop on buydominicaonline.com, you are helping to grow Dominica's economy. Go to buydominicaonline.com and enjoy home away from home. Thank you again, Captain Senhouse. Thank you for stopping by and joining the ranks of our wonderful guests who stop by each week to share their inspirational stories with us. And of course, I wanted to talk to you today about the importance of plugging into your energy source. And the idea came to mind because if you follow me, you know that I am the Director of Coaching and Lifestyle Management at Core Med Telemedicine Services. So a lot of what I share here, I share share on a one-to-one -one basis with clients who come to me, who are interested in setting life goals, who are interested in setting goals surrounding their health, their careers, and their education. So recently, I met with a client, we'll call him Mr. X, and Mr. X and I were having a wonderful session. And towards the end of the session, he said to me, Doc, I have a silly question for you. I, of course, I reassured him that there's no such thing as a silly question. And then he says to me, why is it I am having so much difficulty working out in the morning? So I quickly drew his attention back to a conversation we had during our very first session, the importance of getting your energy going. Because let's face it, if you recall back in the days of studying science, you remember that Newton's first law says a body at rest stays at rest and a body in motion stays in motion. So if, for example, you work from home or you're spending a lot more hours at home these days, then you will realize how difficult it can be sometimes to just get in the groove of the day. 
So what do you do in this case? And I had to remind him the importance of getting an energy source. So what makes you want to get up and go, right? And for many of us, that is music. So if you've had a chance to buy my book, Push Past 10, you will recall that I have a lot of information about the power of music to get us going. And if you've been following me for a while, you know I do everything to music. So whether it is working out, grading papers, working on the computer, there is always a source of music that is keeping me going. So it is so important for you to find your source of energy. And of course, being from Dominica, being from the Caribbean, you know, I got to have my booyah music. So this is my energy source. My source of energy to get me going and to keep me going is my music. So whenever you're not in the mood to work on your goals, you're just feeling sluggish, you're feeling unmotivated, remember to plug into your energy source. So if you're like me and you're from the Caribbean, chances are it is going to be some sort of soca music, booyah music, uh, reggae music that will get you started and keep you going. And of course, it doesn't matter where you're from because music is such an integral part of many of our lives and many of, of our culture. So the next time you're not feeling so motivated, the first thing I want you to think about is wh where is my energy source? How can I tap into it so I can get motivated for the day? So I just wanted to share this with you because I know it can be so difficult for us to be consistent with working our goals and kind of moving our lives forward. So again, once again, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Untapped Potential with Dr. Simone right here on TDN Radio. As always, it is wonderful to be in your company each and every day each and every week as we come together to get powered up for the week ahead. So we're doing it next week again. Next week, we will be joined by Leanne Morancy. She is a young lady out of Dominica, currently living in California, and she too is going to tell us about her inspirational story. So you certainly do not want to miss um, Leanne's interview, and then following her, we will have our international new nutrition summit where we had nutritionists from three areas of the world stop by to tell us about the importance of making simple changes that can help us to live healthier lives. So we are very excited. We are very excited that you're on this journey with us and we hope that you're making great strides as you continue to work on your personal and life goals. And of course, for more information about all that I do, you can check out uh, my website, pushpast10.com. So again, that is P-U-S-H-P-A-S-T, the number 10, for all the information that you need about this program. And as we mentioned before, yes, we do have a featured guest uh, video on the homepage. And of course, that will be the video of Captain Senhouse's interview. So again, pushpast10.com for the video interview of Captain Senhouse, as well as 
all our upcoming events, as well as the podcast for this program for any episode that you may have missed along the way. So again, thank you for your support. Thank you for being on this journey with me as we continue to journey on and we continue to work on our goals together. So as we always say at the end of the program, don't forget that your life story is your strength. The challenges that you've faced in the past have prepared you to face the challenges that you face today. So remember to tap into your potential each and every day. Remember to stay productive, stay positive, stay active, and stay engaged. So until we meet next week, Right here, back on TDN Radio, I want to wish you a wonderful week. I hope you feel (laughs) a little bit more energized to get going for the week. And I look forward to being back here on your radio for another episode of Untapped Potential next week, Tuesday, 5.30 Eastern Time, right here on TDN Radio. So you have yourself a wonderful week.